only you can decide what you want, what you want this country to be, what you want to do with the future. Vote like your whole world depended on it. Voters should not be forced to go to the polls with their fingers crossed. They understand what peace demands. What America needs are leaders to match the greatness of her people. Campaign appearances are getting closer and closer together as each candidate tries to get in his best shot. Vote. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. It's going to get dirtier in these last few days. No apologies, no regrets. We will not be coerced. We will not tolerate being pushed around. Well, welcome everyone who's joining us here. Happy Fourth of July. This is um, a what we always talk about. The well is a ordinary place where extraordinary things happen. And today we are going to talk about a subject that, as you see up there up on the screen. Okay, it's called avoiding election infection. Now, before we start on our topic, how many people are very nervous by the fact that I'm going to speak about this subject? <laughs> no, very good. Some people are like, no, you got this. All right. Anyone who knows anything about me knows I know very little about politics. I know very little about current events. I know a lot about sports, but that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. So I'm really risking a lot here by this topic. However, I think that uh, we'll venture off and kind of see where we can get to and hopefully not offend anybody in the process um, as we talk about our subject. But now we need to do a real survey, okay? Break the ice a little bit here because I know once I say election, everyone's ready to, uh, you know what I'm saying? All right, so let's do a little survey here. How many people, and we need honesty, okay? You need honest answers and it's okay if you raise your hand to the following question, okay? How many people are enjoying the drama of this election how many people enjoy it? It's okay. Don't be embarrassed to raise your hand, okay? Very good, very good. Now, how many people How many people honestly would say that they can't stand it and they can't wait for it to end? They want this election stuff to end, okay? Okay, very good. Neither one is right or wrong, I would be honest. How many people would say that they hate when the topic of the election comes up? When it comes up at dinner or it comes up in a social setting, like you hate it when the election topic comes up because it just ruins everything, okay? Very good. How many people like me say that they bring it up? How many people are that, okay? Very good. I do that especially to my father and my sister-in-law when they're together because I like to instigate even though I know nothing, okay? How many people, okay, this is a serious one, and again, we need honest answers and nobody's judging anybody. Okay, we're mature adults here. How many people today, the election is on November 8th, how many people today know exactly who they're going to vote for and they're not listening and they're not willing to be convinced by anything that takes place? How many people know exactly who they're going to vote for, okay? So not as many as, as, as I would have thought. Okay, how many people have made their decision or are leaning one way mainly because not the person that they want, but the person that they don't want? How many people are making their decision? <laughs> okay, so here goes to my theory. This is what I believe, okay? I don't know how many years you've been alive, how many elections you've been around. I've been around since 1976, okay, in this country. I've never seen an election year like this. And what's unique about this election year, in my opinion, this is the first time, at least that I know of, where the focus is not on issues. No one discusses issues. No one discusses disagreements. We discuss people. And no one is deciding who to vote for, uh, I believe this about abortion, or I believe this about gun control, or I believe this about uh, uh, foreign policy. It's, I hate him, and I hate her. 
and we, we've, we've degenerated into WWF wrestling is basically what I'm saying because it's all about basically who you hate more. So with that as our backdrop, ladies and gentlemen, here I go risking my life in Arlington, Virginia, just outside the nation's capital, the most volatile election year ever, the most politically charged city in the world. And I'm going to talk about how we should approach the election. Now, I'll put you at ease a little bit right off the bat. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you that you should not care. I'm not going to tell you who Jesus would vote for if he was here, if he was a Republican or Democrat. I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't have an opinion. And I'm not going to tell you it's wrong to have a strong opinion. I'm not going to tell you what the right opinion is. I'm not going to tell you you shouldn't have an opinion. I have been told by people that know me that I have an opinion about everything. So I cannot disagree with someone having an opinion about everything, okay? I see it, having an opinion about everything is a bonus. My wife sees it as a slightly negative, okay? But hey, whatever. You're allowed to have an opinion, and you're allowed to disagree with my opinion or someone else's opinion. It's not a matter of that. I'm not going to tell you not to watch all the coverage. I'm not going to tell you to stop yelling at the TV when the other guy or the other gay lady comes on. I'm not going to tell you to stop threatening to go back to your home country or go to Canada or move to Mexico after the election if so-and-so wins. You have every right as an American to do all those things. But what I want us to do here today is talk about how we should approach doing all of those things and the context in which we should approach the volatility of this election, regardless of what your opinion, regardless of who you're going to vote for, regardless of what you believe. I have a challenge for you between now and November 8th. This challenge, like I said, I'm risking my life here on this point. And I'm telling you what I'm about to say to you. I'll be honest, most churches, I wouldn't feel comfortable saying what I'm about to say. Most churches. Because I trust in your maturity level. I trust the people in this room are educated, mature, that, that our, our level of Christianity is not a superficial level where the smallest thing will offend us, we're going to fight with each other. I believe that the people in this room are able to have an intellectual, rational discussion about matters where we may disagree from one end of the spectrum to the other. Okay? So my challenge for you between now and November 8th is the following. Is regardless of your politics, regardless of your opinion, regardless of who you're voting for or who you would never vote for, regardless of what you believe about any candidate or any political party. One thing that will unite us all is that our faith before our politics. I'm not telling you to have no politics. I'm not telling you to change your politics. All I'm saying is that I want to appeal to something deeper within everyone here who's a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or an Independent. That's great. You should fight for your, for your political party. Like That's the best. But what I'm saying is there's something higher or something deeper within all of us, Republican or Democrat, or Democrat, left or right, and that is that we are Christians. We are followers of Christ. And we are pledged our allegiance to the Republican Party or the Democrat Party or the Libertarian Party. But before that, we pledge a greater obedience to the true king, who is Jesus Christ. And our number one allegiance is to Christ, and therefore... We will approach everything in politics with that as our framework. That that is ultimately who we are. That who are you? I'm a Christian who votes for this, or I'm a Christian who votes for that. But I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God, just like you. I'm your brother or your sister. And regardless of who you vote for, we are still members of the same family eternally. 
You may be Republican or Democrat for a few more years on this earth, but believe me, when we get up there, there's no Republican, there's no Democrat. It's not going to be like, I'm going to be on the right side of heaven, you're going to be on the left side of heaven. All right, there's no colors in heaven. We're all going to be one family. And you get that. You agree. Nobody disagreed with what I just said. Did anybody disagree with what I just said? Did anyone say, no, my Republicanism comes before my Christianity? Or me, I'm, I'm Democrat, I don't care, even my faith doesn't matter? No, we all agree this. And you know that today, as passionately as you may believe about your political opinion, as passionate as you are, that I can say something to you or do something to you to make you not care one bit. I put you in the hospital in critical care. I put you on life support. I tell you that your days are numbered. I connect the life support machine to you, and all of a sudden, you don't care about who's winning the election. I've been by people when they died. I was actually by someone who, in the moments that they died, I have never heard anyone say in their dying moments, can you bring me highlights of the Republican National Convention before I go? Can you read me the Obama's health care plan one more time? I never heard anybody say that my goal in life is to one day spend eternity in the Capitol, okay, and, 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 and spend eternity in Washington, D.C. on Pennsylvania Avenue. We live our whole life to spend eternity away from all this stuff. So there's something deeper inside me and you that says, my politics are important, but there's something that's more important. That's our framework during this volatile, heated, WWF-style election, where not just the, the candidates are going at it, but the, the followers of the candidates seem to be going WWF-style as well. That has to be our framework. Now, with that said, faith before politics. Put your faith before your politics. Your politics not before your faith. Your faith comes before your politics. Most of the people in this room, I can already read your minds. I know exactly what you're thinking. Most of the people in this room are thinking the following. Father Anthony, I agree with you. Actually, my faith is the reason for my politics. My faith is the reason that I'm a Democrat. My faith is the reason that I'm a Republican. And if I didn't care about my faith, I'd jump to the other side with the evil people over there. Most people don't see any conflict between their faith and their politics. And that's why most people are listening to me talk and saying, it is really great. The Democrats really need to hear that. Or someone needs to tell those Republicans, yeah, faith first, politics second. Well, then if you are, are doing that, then you may be playing the game of, as I, as I alluded to earlier, if Jesus were alive today, who would he vote for? You ever played this game? You've had these discussions? You say, I'm a Christian and therefore I am a, and then you justify your political position based on your Christianity. And then you play the game of, if Jesus was alive. If Jesus was alive today, those who were Republicans say, of course he'd be Republican. Of course he'd be Republican. Are you kidding me? Family values. Jesus was all about family values. Jesus was fiscally conservative. Remember the parable of the guy with the ten minas and the guy who wasted his? Okay? Fiscally conservative. Jesus was all about personal responsibility and personal accountability, faithful and least, ruler over much. Jesus was definitely Republican. Even more than that. Even more than that. I'll make it very clear. It's spelled out in the Bible that Jesus is Republican. You know how? Where is Jesus right now? Jesus died. He rose from the dead. He ascended to the heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, clean, clear English. He's on the right side. When Jesus talked about the sheep and the goats in the parable of uh, the eternity, he said the goats will go to the left. Actually, your left is here. The goats to the left and the sheep are on the right. It's clear Jesus was a Republican. I had someone tell me this one time too. One of Jesus' disciples was Matthew, also Levi. And Levi's job was what before he was a uh, disciple? He was a tax collector, also known as a publican. 
publican is like probably like a republican like right so jesus was clearly a republican democrats you can see by the look on your face are you kidding me jesus a republican jesus was of course a democrat jesus was a health care machine everywhere he went he was all about free health care everywhere he went he just spewed it out everywhere he went he cared about the lost Okay, he cared about the guy who had no, he was all flat tax rate for everybody, 10% all across the board. Jesus was, of course, a Democrat, and only a crazy person would think otherwise. Any libertarians in the room? You're thinking to yourself, both, look at you guys. You're sitting there fighting Republican, Democrat. Jesus was a libertarian. You know why? Because Jesus himself, Jesus never came to be part of the establishment. Jesus was always, like, against the established parties. Okay, you had the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and then Jesus knocked them both aside. So that's like the Republicans and Democrats. And Jesus himself said, one of his most famously quoted verses, actually quoted all the time by politicians, and I don't know if people know that it's actually Jesus who said it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free, libertarian. There you go, right there. Jesus is clearly a libertarian. Is there anybody I haven't offended? Any groups that I left out that I wouldn't want me to offend right now? Now that we're all on equal footing, okay, that we played this game. The truth of the matter is, I can find you a Bible verse to support any position you have in life, political or not political. I have told people that before. You find me what you want to do, I will find you a verse to support. So it's not enough to just say, you know what? My Bible. Bible before politics. And if a Bible is what I follow more than politics, I can find you a Bible verse to prove just about anything you want. We can kill each other arguing the same verse in the Bible. It's not enough to say Jesus number one and political party second. Because again, I could finagle Jesus' words into making it sound like whatever it is that I want. So what does it mean, faith before politics? How do I approach election infection season with a Christian mindset? How do I approach it if it's not Bible first, it's not Jesus first? Well, this one's a little bit of a stretch, but I think if you hear me out here, you'll agree with me on what I'm about to say. It's not spelled out such in the Bible, but I think you'll agree with me. We can't look at what Jesus said only because, like I said, there's too much disagreement. But maybe we can look at Jesus' attitude. The way Jesus approached life and he made decisions. And if we see how he made decisions, then we can make decisions the same way and then we'll be where he wants us to be. So I would say, if you had to summarize, what does faith before politics mean? I would say Jesus' attitude in general on everything in life was this. People first. Politics second. Would you agree with that? Jesus' attitude was people come first. People are more important than rules. People are more important than laws. People are more important than social norms. People first, everything else second. So when God was up in heaven and he looked down at his creation, which was about to die and was sick with an eternal disease, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He so loved the people, the world doesn't mean the earth, doesn't mean the trees. He so loved the world, he so loved the people, that everything else came second. His love for people came first. Jesus said when he came down to this earth, he is king of kings and lord of lords. But I did not come into this earth to be served by people. I came on this earth not to be served, but to serve. And to give myself as a life, a ransom for many. So I didn't come for people to serve me. I came to put people first. Not myself first, not my agenda first. People first, everything else second. Would you all agree with that statement? 
Jesus' attitude was people come first. People come first. Let me say that a slightly different way, okay, and then you can disagree with me if you want. We can disagree, Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whatever. We can disagree on what's best for people, but we can't disagree that what's best for people is what's best. Did you catch that one? We can disagree about what's best for people. I got no problem with that. I tell you, I'm the first one in this room. I'm not the most educated politically, and I don't know what's best for people. We can disagree on what's best. This law or that law. This candidate or that candidate. This bill passing or this bill failing. We can disagree on what's best for people. But what we cannot disagree is that what's best for people, that has to be our goal. And what's best for people, that has to be the goal of our nation. That has to be the goal of our, of our government. That has to be the goal of everything we do. That I, we are here not for ourselves, not for our political party, not for our agenda. We are here for the sake of people. For example, Jesus one time saw a woman who by, she was caught red-handed in adultery and by the letter of the law deserved to be stoned. She was set to be stoned. She deserved to be stoned. And the people said, the law says stoned. Jesus said, I know what the law says, but I care about the person right now more than the law. Jesus cared person. He said he without sin cast the first stone. He protected the person in spite of the law. One time, there was a woman who was bleeding. And this woman who was bleeding, against social norms, she pushed her way through the crowd to touch the hem of Jesus' robe. Just to touch the bottom of Jesus' robe. And the disciples said, get back, everybody get back, and you're a woman, and you're a bleeding woman, which was socially unacceptable. Bleeding woman should have stayed home. But Jesus said, social norm second, people first go on and on. You go to Zacchaeus, you go to the Samaritan woman. So many times society said, this is what it needs to be. And Jesus said, but this is what this person needs. Jesus was always willing to break a social norm, to break a rule. And if there was politics at the time, it would have broken politics too for the sake of people. And more than that, you know what Joe drove Jesus crazy more than anything else? What lit a fire under Jesus' skin? His people who didn't get that. His people who put their politics in front of people. Who are the people in the New Testament who politics, political party, political agenda came before people? Those are the Pharisees. Jesus didn't like them. He loved them, but he didn't like what they were doing. There's a story in Mark chapter 2. One time Jesus is with his disciples, and they're out on the Sabbath, and they're walking through a field, and they're hungry. So there's a field there, and there's some grain, and they pick the grain and eat it because they're hungry. The Pharisees show up on the scene. The Pharisees are kind of like the safety patrol. They're the guys who kind of jump out the hallway patrol and say, you know, you don't have a hallway pass to do this. They always, anytime anyone did anything, they were always there to jump out and get people in trouble. The Pharisees jumped out on the scene. This is what happened. Mark chapter 2, verse 24. It says, And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why do they do what is not lawful? Section 2.68 of the law says that they shouldn't do this, and the law says this, and this is what our law says. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath, the law, was not made for man, but man, was made for man, not man, for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath also. 
He's saying, look, the rules were made for man, not man for the rules. Did you know, we were not made for political parties. Political parties were made for us. See, we've got this backwards now. Because I feel like right now, the political agendas and parties, they need us. Like, we, they need us to play their game. And we feel like we're just here to play their game. And to vote for this, or to vote for that, or to fight this, or to fight that. They're supposed to be there to serve us. The government was not made. We're not made for the government. God didn't say, establish a government and then get people to just vote and people to do whatever. The government was made for us, not us for the government. People first, politics second. What we're going to do here today is we're going to look at how this, our relationship with the government is supposed to look like in a theoretical, and I told you right off the bat that I'm an uneducated person, and I don't know, like everyone's, everyone, people said, who you're voting for, and everyone raised their hand. I have no idea who I'm going to vote for. I have no idea who I'm going to vote for, and I'm the most uneducated person in this room. So I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to have this discussion without any bias. I feel like you can't be offended what I'm about to say because I don't even know what I'm about to say. I don't know anything, and I'm saying this now because if I told you this on November 9th, you would accuse me of having an agenda. And when I tell you this, how we should approach the president or the government, you're going to say on November 9th, if I said this, you'd say, oh, it's because his guy won or his lady won. You're going to say just because the person he won. So I'm telling you this today when I tell you, I don't know who's going to win. And I don't know who I'm going to vote for. But I'm going to tell you what I believe our approach should be. Because we were not created for government. Government was created for us. We were not created for elections. Elections were created for us. We were not created for politics. Politics was created for us. We're going to look at a passage from Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13 speaks about our relationship, the relationship of Christians to the government. And just to give you a little context, Romans chapter 13 is written in the first century. What was the government like in the first century in Rome? In first century in Rome, if you are a Christian, that meant what? You're living large? You're living the dream? You have never seen an existence of what it's like to be anyone like Christians in the first century in Rome. The way they were persecuted, it was illegal to become a Christian. You could be killed for your Christianity just based on one person's accusation. Not even a trial. I think she's a Christian. Boom. Get rid of her. Christianity was illegal, and the Romans were animals. The way they treated anyone who broke their law. And in the face of that government. So basically, whatever you believe about this candidate or that candidate can't be worse about this. Okay? Whatever you believe about this president can't be worse than that. In the face of that government and that ruler, listen to what St. Paul says about how our approach as Christians should be towards the government. Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Who is he talking about? A Christian ruler? A Christian president? A Christian king? Someone who's helping the Christians? Someone who uses the Christians as torches and lights them on fire. And this is what he says. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. I'm not saying any presidential candidate. I'm not saying anyone in office, but what I'm saying, the Bible says about this wicked king, 
He is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister. Second time it says he's God's minister. An avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due. Taxes to whom taxes are due. Customs to whom customs. Fear to whom feared. And honor to whom honor. Let me summarize it this way, without getting into the nitty-gritty. I think what St. Paul is saying there, two things that he teaches us. He teaches us where government came from, where authority came from, regardless of what it is, and its purpose. Government, the origin, government was established by God for people. That's the summary of what St. Paul said. Government was established by God for people. They say, wait a minute. How was government established by God? If you read in the Bible, go back to the Old Testament, there are three institutions ordained by God. God created three institutions for our sake and our well-being. First one he established is the family. God established family. Established husband and wife, bring children, establish the family unit. God said, this family unit, this for me, for y'all's sake. God established the church, number two. God said, y'all people who believe in me, come together, 12 tribes, all my people, come together, Abraham is your leader. He established the church, he established an order for the church, he established the family of God. And number three, he established government. You say, where did God establish government? When the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, they were slaves. They had no government because they were slaves. Slaves don't have a government. Slaves are just slaves. When they became free and they entered into this freedom, what do you have or what happens when you have people who don't know how to use freedom and the first time they're free, that freedom leads to bad things. Because freedom without virtue, without control, is not really freedom. It's actually slavery. So God said, hey, y'all are now free for the first time in history. So what do you do? This is what you do. You don't murder. You don't take another man's life. And if you do, this is how you should be punished. You don't lie. And if someone's caught lying, this is what you do to them. You don't steal. And if someone, if you look in the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, the laws, the detail. If someone loses his ox on a, on, on, and it's your fault that he lost his ox, you have to repay him one of your oxes. If someone lost an ox and you were negligent, you pay him two oxes. If somebody falls into a ditch and no one helped him, this is God gave a great set of laws. Why? Because God knew that the people, without a government, were going to be lost. They're going to kill each other. They're going to murder each other. There's going to be chaos. Our God is not a God of chaos. Our God is a God of order. That all things be done decently in order. So God was the first government. God was also, by the way, was the first physician. Did you know that? Before there was doctors, God was the first physician. That's why God said, if somebody's got these white spots on their head, y'all call it leprosy, if someone's got these white spots, put them over there in the corner for seven days. And people said, why do we put them in the corner? That's me. No, because God understood contagious diseases. And people didn't understand it. Put them in the corner for seven days. And then after seven days, check them. Still got the white spots? Back for another seven days. If they're okay, bring them out. Because God understood contagious diseases before people did. God also was a psychologist and psychiatrist before people. God understood human psyche and gave rules and laws. That's another subject. Our topic here. God was government before there was government because God knew man needed government. God gave man government for our sake. I'll give you an example. Nowadays, I'm reading, and I just finished, the book of Judges in the Bible. Right, the book of Judges shows more than any other book in the Bible the need human beings have for government and what happens if there is no government. 
Or what happens if the government doesn't do its job? Because during the time of Judges, okay, I'll give you a verse right here. Read the story from Judges 19. I'll just kind of summarize it because it's kind of long. It came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. That's the key phrase. No king in Israel. And it goes on to tell the story about a certain Levite staying in the remote mountains of Ephraim. First, it sets the stage to say, there's no ruler. And we're going to read a verse in the end. The last verse of Judges says, basically, there was no ruler. Everyone did whatever he wanted. There was total chaos. Let me tell you about this man, this Levite. Summarize this story. You've got a man who's a Levite. And what happens to this man is he's traveling from one town to the other. And on his way, he stops in, like, let's say he's going from uh, Ephraim. Is that where he's from? The remote mountains of Ephraim. And I think he's going to Jerusalem. I don't remember exactly where he's going. On the way, he stops in a city. And he's going to spend the night in that city because it's getting dark. And this was a common thing. And people were supposed to be hospitable to strangers, okay? This is a very common thing. People would stop. They'd go to the city square. And then someone would invite them to their home. And then they'd travel on. This man is in the city square. And if someone sees him and says, you come and stay at my house, sir. When the man goes to that man's house, okay, he hears a knock at the door. This is very similar to a story that happened in Sodom and Gomorrah with Abraham, with Lot, Abraham's cousin. It says this. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They're inside having a good time, kicking back a cold one, and certain men of the house beat on the door. So from the city, beat on the door. And they spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. Bang on the door and say, The new guy. We want the new guy. Bring him out here. It gets worse. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, do not act so wickedly. Seeing this man has come into my house, do not commit this outrage. Look, Watch this. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now, humble them, and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not do such a vile thing. Now, I'm, I'm just reading the story from the box, okay? And I'm not telling you, this is a, and we, okay, we can take it with humor. We can take, this is sad, okay? This is sad. This is very sad. And here you have a noble person defending the honor of this man on one hand, and on the other hand, giving away his daughter and the man's concubine on the other. Why? What's going on here? No order. No, no, it's chaos. Every man for himself. Well, what happens? They take the daughter, and the man's concubine. They rape her. And they basically leave her for dead at the door of the man at the end of the night. Verse 27. When her we skipped the verses that talked a little more gruesome. Okay? But what I just said. When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold, you can picture, trying to get back in. And he said to her, get up and let us be going. There was no answer. Why was there no answer? Because she was dead. They raped her. They left her for dead. So the man lifted her onto the donkey and the man got up and went to his place. I'm not going to read the rest of the story because the rest of the story, as bad as that is, the rest of the story gets worse. The man does, takes her, puts her on the donkey, goes back to whatever town it is that he's from. He cuts her up into 12 pieces and he sends a piece of her dead body to every tribe of Israel, along with a note explaining the story, saying that these people from this town, who's one of our owners, the tribe of Benjamin, did this to my concubine. And they raped her 
and they left her for dead. And then he said to the people, are you going to allow this horrible thing to happen? Actually, did I bring that verse? Yeah, actually, I bought it right When he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, divided her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and sent her throughout all the territory of Israel. And so it was that all who saw it said, no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel come up, came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it, confer and speak up. Sends the body parts to every, every, every tribe. Says, y'all going to allow this? You going to allow them to do this? So basically, they get together and they say, all the other tribes, you got 12 tribes here and the one lone tribe over there. There was kind of 13 tribes. And these 12 tribes say, we declare war on that guy. The situation goes from bad to worse. We declare war and we make a vow. We will wipe out the tribe of Benjamin utterly. And then you begin a civil war where you have family fighting against family. In this horribly bloody war where in the end, this tribe almost is utterly wiped out. It was already a small tribe and they wiped them out. They wiped out most of the men, most of the women, most of the children, burned the stuff. And you say, okay, that's awful. I tell you, the story gets even worse. They get back together and say, ha, huh, we won the war. But you know what? One of our tribes now is missing. Now there's no more tribe of Benjamin. And all the promises of God was for all the tribes of Israel. Benjamin was one. Now what are we going to do? There's a few men left, but we pretty much wiped out all the women. So what are we going to do? So you know what they did? There was one village who wasn't in this meeting that vowed to wipe them out. Maybe the guy got sick or tripped on the way. I don't know what happened. There was one village that didn't swear to wipe them out. I said, okay, you know what? We're going to go to that village. We're going to kill all their men, steal their women, give their women to these guys so these guys can procreate, and now the, now the, now the tribe lives on. And everybody lives happily ever after. What's that? You know what that is? I'm not trying to get into the details. That's a horrible story. Murder, civil war. Like, that's the worst story imaginable, and that's a three-chapter story. But here's the summary. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No king. No government. Every man for himself. They abused this woman. They abused the woman. They killed the lady. They killed the lady. They chop her up. They chop her up. They, they wipe out the tribe. They wipe out the tribe. They wipe out another tribe so they can recreate this tribe. Do whatever you got to do. God created. I'm not talking about this story. This story is not our, our topic. God created government, government leaders, for our sake, to protect us and to keep us from this situation of anarchy and chaos where everyone does whatever's right in their own eyes. So what I'm saying is, regardless of what you feel about the particular individual who is our president or your senator or the people who are running, regardless of that, we thank God that he has given us the government. I know you say, no, but our government is... Look, you can say whatever it is you want to say. Go travel to other places in the world and you will see that even though our system is not perfect here, and yes, there are mistakes, you are thankful that you live in a country with laws and with order. And yes, you may not agree with every decision that's made and the system has flaws, absolutely. But you just need to travel around to where there's corruption, real corruption in government, real corruption in security forces. And you will see that thank God. Thank God for what he's given us here. And with that, here's where I'm taking my life in my own hands. Here's where I'm really stepping out on, on, on a limb right here. I'm going to try to get in and out here before anybody throw anything at me. Regardless of your opinion about the specific individuals who are governing our country, your attitude towards them, according to the words of Scripture, should be two things. Show your passage, highlight the words, and then get out of Dodge. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13-17. through 1 Peter, again, same era. 
bad, bad time. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king is supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers for the praise of those who do good. Submit yourselves. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I believe our attitude towards government, regardless of your opinion, needs to be two things. Honor and obey. I will hide now. I'm not talking about any individual. I'm saying this today. I'm going to say the same thing on November 9th, regardless of who wins. Honor and obey. Let's start with the easier of the two. Let's start with the easier. Which is easier, honor or obey? I'm going to go with obey is easier. <laughs> I'm going to go with obey, and I'm going to get to honor in a second, okay? I'm going to save, save it all until to, to the very end. Let's start with the easier, which I believe is obey. We are to obey our government. Now, with that said, let me preface it by saying, obviously, we obey in the Lord. Okay, and even Jesus said, okay, that render unto Caesar what is Caesar, unto God what is God's. So we do not obey in contradiction to God. Okay, but sometimes, like, if we're honest, we say we can't obey this because it violates our God. It violates our political party. It violates our agenda. It violates what we want to accomplish. But it doesn't. The majority, okay, of us, if we're honest, is not violating our God when we obey the government. It's violating what we want, but it's not violating the rules of God. Our situation is slightly different. I get you a quote here from a well-known author, John MacArthur. Said Christians are to be model citizens, known as law-abiding, not rabble-rousing, obedient rather than rebellious, respectful of government rather than demeaning of it, a godly society, doing good and living peaceably within an ungodly society. Why? So that the saving power of God is clearly seen. For some of us, and I'm going to get in and get out on this point here real quick. For some of us, we need to change our attitude. Is our attitude obedience or don't get caught? For some of us, our attitude is not obey because it's the right thing. For some of us, our attitude is, as long as you don't get caught, it's not really wrong. For example, if I don't get caught littering, it's not really that big a deal. If I don't get caught cheating on my taxes, it's not really that big a deal. It's wrong if you get caught, but if you don't, a little cut here and there, it's not a big deal. Have a drink or two, and then get behind the wheel of a car, it's not that big a deal. Download something online, which I know I'm not supposed to download. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just going with what the scripture says. The scripture says that we as Christians don't need police to police us. We police ourselves because we answer to a higher authority. And we don't need people to police us. We don't need government to police us. The government isn't here to police us. The government is here to police the people who are breaking the rules, not the Christians. Because we Christians. We police ourselves because we're called to a higher standard. We have a higher God. And whether or not the governor, the police, the president, whether they see me, don't see me, doesn't matter. Because there's someone else who sees me, and I'm living for a higher purpose. And I will, and I spoke about this earlier during the sermon for those who are here. 
I will, and you will, and all of us will. Because we here at STSA are mission, bringing ancient faith to a modern world. We will never, ever, ever, ever let anything take away our influence, our ability to touch people with the gospel of Christ. We will never, we will never allow politics to get in the way of my ability to influence somebody who needs the love of God. We will never let any rule breaking or anything, any cheating, whatever, get in the way of my ability to bring an ancient faith to a modern world because the world needs it. So you know what? If I see, you know what? I could get away with this or I could do this or I hate this. I, my highest objective is to be a minister of God and to bring what I've been given to the world and I will never, ever give anyone a reason to not be influenced by me. So first, our attitude toward the government needs to be honor and obey. That was obey. But honor? I will obey that man. I will obey her if she's my president. But I will never honor such a wicked, despicable, vile human being. Deep breath. Number one, honor doesn't mean agree with. Children, you are to honor your parents. It doesn't mean you'll always agree with your parents, but you are to honor your parents. And there are times you can, parents, we get this, I want my child to obey me even if he disagrees with me. You can obey and honor even if you don't agree. Good? We are to honor even if we disagree. Can a Republican honor Democrat? Can a Democrat honor that Republican? You know, according to Scripture, whether you are left or right, middle or nowhere, wherever it is that you are, our call by Christ is to honor everyone, regardless of where they sit on the political spectrum. Look what St. Paul says here in Titus, chapter 3. Remind them. St. Paul is speaking to his disciple Titus, saying, remind the people. So I'm just doing what the scripture tells me to do right here. Remind them, I'm reminding you to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey. We just talked about that. To be ready for every good work. Watch this one. To speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Can I be honest? Can I be very honest? No one gets offended because I understand we just get caught up in the stuff. Last week I gave an entire sermon about gossip. I gave a sermon about by your words will be justified, by your words will be condemned. I gave a sermon about how the power of the tongue and how God will give it will hold us accountable to everything that we say. Here it says, speak evil of no one. Does this apply to the president? Does this apply to candidates for president? Somehow in our minds, we think, oh, it's election year. God kind of removed that law for 2016. The idea of speak evil of no one, God's like, oh, but I know. It's an election year. So you just got to kind of speak evil of whoever's on the TV because that's what everyone else is doing. I don't think God suspends the rules of Christianity just because it's an election year and you live in Arlington, Virginia. I believe that the same God who said speak evil of no one is talking about, without saying names, is talking about the people that you can't do. I'm not saying to like everyone. I'm not saying to give everyone a hug and kiss. I'm not saying to agree with everyone. I'm not saying to vote for anyone. But the scripture tells us that we are to speak evil of no one. And for some of us, 
we're not doing a very good job of this. And, and, and again, speak evil of no one is being written about a king who is killing Christians every single day. I'll give you a quote from one of our church fathers, St. Basil. It says, the Christian, apply this to your presidential candidate of choice. The Christian ought not to grudge another's reputation. The Christian ought not to grudge another's reputation, nor rejoice over any person's faults. The Christian ought to ought in Christ's love to grieve and be afflicted at their brother or sister's faults and rejoice over their brother's good deeds. We don't do that. We can't wait to catch something on him or on her. And we tell the whole world, like I said, we're not voting for him because we like him, but because we hate her. And we like to tell the whole world how we hate her and her fault. And widows who are voting for her aren't voting for her because we like her. We don't even know her name. We hate him. And we tell the whole world how he's a wicked and how he's a this. And those who are voting for neither curse them both. And the scripture tells us, speak evil of no one. It says, honor the king. No matter how wicked it may be. Again, I'm telling you this today. On November 9th, if I said this, you'd say I have an agenda. I got no agenda. I'm just telling you what the scripture says. And I'll tell you something else. I was just speaking with someone recently who's not from this country, who moved to this country, a member of our church, who moved to this country, this couple, and they told me the one thing that astonished them moving to this country. They have never seen, they live many places in the world, seen a country where you openly bash your leader the way we do. We openly bash our leader. The second they become leader, boom. Look, I'm all for freedom of speech. I believe in it. Fourth of July, go America. That's the best. But do you think that, again, freedom without limits isn't really freedom? Do you think that maybe some of us have taken our freedom of speech? And do you think that maybe all the bashing of those who were supposed to be in positions of respect, do you think that maybe, and I'm talking ideologically, I'm not talking about an individual, do you think that maybe that has had a negative impact on our society? You make the choice. You make the decision. Me personally, I don't know. Constantly showing that any position is up to be bashed and destroyed and criticized and demeaned and degraded. Is that a good thing for our society when the scripture tells us to speak evil of no one, even rulers who are wicked as Nero was in Rome in the first century? You make up your mind. Now, those of you who are listening to me and having a tough time with this, you're saying, okay, I agree, but how can I honor such a crook like that? How can I honor such a wicked person like that? How can I honor someone who's so evil? What I'm telling you is this scripture was written when Jesus said, love your enemy. He was speaking about people who would kill him and crucify him in the most wicked way possible. He said, love your enemy. When St. Paul said to honor the king, he's speaking about a king that was going to have him killed and beheaded for doing absolutely nothing wrong. When Peter is saying that speak evil of no one, he's speaking about a ruler, Nero. You know how wicked Nero was? Like you talk about Hitler, you talk about the worst people. Nero was the worst. They say they used to bring Christians into the Colosseum and feed them to the lions as a sport. Like, hey, what are you doing today? Find a few Christians, throw them, watch the lions, tear them limb from limb. And the people enjoyed it and they sold popcorn. They used to say that the streets, you know how they would light the streets in Rome in the first century? Christians were torches. They would have a torch and they'd put a Christian body there and they would douse them in a flammable liquid and they would light them on fire to light the streets. And when the place got too dark, they'd get some more Christians and light them on fire. And in the midst of that, he says, speak evil of no one. Honor the king. So if they can do it, you can do it. And you say, I can't do it. I can't honor that person. Then I will say, start with baby steps. Start by not dishonoring. I'll give you don't honor. 
but don't dishonor. Everything that we talk about, that gossip and tongue and speak evil, all applies. Make it your goal between now and November 9th that it applies to these candidates. And think whatever you want to think and vote however you want to vote. I am not telling you all to vote the same way. But we need to control how we honor and obey those who are in positions of leadership. Why? Because I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm not a Libertarian or Independent. I'm a follower of God. I'm a son of the King in Heaven. I'm a Christian. That's what political party, and that's who I follow. That's my King. And if he says speak evil of no one, even though I hate that person, I will, I will follow him. Because he's number one in my life. With that said, you wrap up by answering this question. I am angry. You told me not to speak bad. What do I do with my anger towards this person? I'll give you something to do with it. That way you don't take it out on me. Right now you're... Okay, I'll tell you what you do with your anger. With your anger, you fix it. You're angry because you think so-and-so is going to ruin this country. Then I tell you, fix the country. You say, but I'm not president. I'll tell you this. I'm not arguing politics here. I'm not arguing politics, but I'm arguing at this level. I would tell you that the president is one person. I think there's someone more influential than the president in this country. You know who that is? That's us. Because 75% of the people in this country, the United States of America, the beautiful United States of America, say we are Christian. That's three-fourths. Three-fourths of us say we unite behind a common leader. Three-fourths of us say that we have a common set of beliefs. Three-fourths of us say that regardless of this opinion or this bill or this, we are called to a much higher standard. We will live by this standard. I believe that three-fourths rises up and says, you know what? This is not worth, we, we're living up here. This is the United States of America. This is the home, land of the free and the home of the brave. This is the place where no one has as much effect on your future as you do. No one does. Even the president with all the power and all my due respect to the president, influential person, absolutely. But I'm telling you that if we as Christians, we say we follow someone much higher. I almost want to say, and I'm, 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 I, I, I believe this, but I know you're not going to believe me, so I'll say it, you don't have to believe me. I believe when we as Christians start following Christ the way he taught us to follow him, it won't even matter who's president. It won't even matter. Because 75% of this country is more powerful than one person. And if 75% of this country is living a certain way, then it won't matter who that one person is. It won't even matter. I'm not saying president, I'm not saying it that way. What I'm saying is we have to look in the mirror. And we have to, like St. Paul taught us in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you brethren... You have been called to liberty. I think he's talking about the United States of America. You have been called to liberty. But do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. We actually talked about this. When did I talk about this? I talked about this American Christianity. Was it Memorial Day or Labor Day or something? One of these holidays. I talked about this. And I was saying how we've been given liberty not to use for ourselves and say, yeah, I'm free. Now I can have as much. But I'm free. Now I can help as much. And this country is founded on that principle. This country is founded on freedom, not for the sake of myself. We are founded on freedom for the sake of others. We're the only country in the world. I just heard this great sermon the other day about America and about how the history, I like history. The history of this country 
The history of this country shows that our country is based on faith, on the, on the faith of certain individuals, and that faith is what made this country great. What made this country great, this is the only country in the whole wide world that is founded upon, we broke free from these guys, and we don't want power for ourselves, but we want self-governance. No other country did that. It's the only country in the world where the country itself stopped its own slavery. That has never happened anywhere in the history of the world. Anywhere else is slavery, the slaves revolt, and they stop the slave, the state stopped the slavery. We're the only country in the world where free people stood up and said, we will end slavery of our, like, we will end our own slavery, even though it's to our benefit. We will end it. Because that's what people of faith do. They do love to serve one another. Civil rights movement was based, uh, uh, Reverend Martin Luther King. Civil rights movement was led by people who believe that black, white doesn't matter because we're all children of God. This country is based on this verse, is that we do not use liberty as an opportunity for ourselves, but through love serve one another. It goes on. For all the laws fulfilled, in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. That last verse is a prophecy of the times that we are living in now. And when we use liberty for ourselves, it ends up devouring ourselves. It's easy to say all the problems in this country is because of the president. It's easy to blame the government. It's easy to do that. And I'm not taking away their accountability, but I also have to look in the mirror and say my own personal accountability. And the accountability of us as a Christian, us as a church, us as a body of Christ in this world. Every four years, we think the problem, all the problems will be solved by the election. Every four years, we play the same game. The country is this. If this candidate solve all of our problems, and we're in the same problems we've always been in. So what I'm saying is the election is important, absolutely. But there's no candidate who's going to solve the problems of this country. The problems of this country is bigger than anyone candidate, bigger than any political party. And we're going to play the same game in another four years and say all the problems will be solved if we just get this person or get this person. Play the same game. We need to realize that the hope of this country is not a political is not even a political ideology. The hope of this country is someone much higher than us, his children. Because, finish off with this, Republican, Democrat, left or right, we are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves little children. You know that song? Red, yellow, black, white, you know that one? <laughs> Red or yellow, black or white, Jesus loves little children. Why make it this way? Republican, Democrat, left or right, we are all precious in his sight. Jesus loves little children of the world. Okay? If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. If not, that's just a bad joke to end with. But on a serious note, everyone in this country, whether we like it or don't like it, we're a team. And as a team, this is our government. Is the government perfect? No. Is the president perfect? No. Do you think that it'll be better with this candidate or this one? Absolutely, that's fine. But in the end, we are one nation under God. That's what we say. It's written on our money. Like we are one nation under God. And whether you are rich or poor, strong or weak, man or woman, doesn't matter. We are one nation under God. And we as Christians, we will debate, we will discuss, we will do everything that we want to do during this election season, but we will not allow the election infection to get us. We will not dishonor, we will not disobey. That's what's been commanded to us because our faith ultimately is the more important in our politics. Okay? Let's stand together and say that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and God, amen.
We thank you, Heavenly Father, in this day as we celebrate our country and the freedom that you've given us here. And we know that our country isn't perfect, our leaders aren't perfect, but we know that we're not perfect either. Lord. Pray that you would help us to, to, to have like a, a faith outlook on this election time and on those who disagree with us and on, 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 on this entire thing. Because we know, Lord, in one snap of the fingers, all this stuff disappears. And none of this stuff really matters in the end, Lord. What matters is that we are one nation under you. We are your children. And ultimately, Lord, you are a true president. You are a true commander-in-chief. You're the one we truly answer to, Lord. And pray that you'd help us to remember that and help our country through this, this volatile time not to be more fractured, but to come together as one nation under you. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, the prayers of all of your saints. Hear us, Lord, as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.